Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, make sure you get the handouts in the back if you don't have one already. Uh, because of the last two weeks, we had to extend our discussion of um, uh, the biblical sexual ethic. Uh, we, had, we moved our final discussion of Sinclair Ferguson's book to, to today. So this is our final discussion of Sinclair Ferguson's book. Next week, we will look at the biblical books of what? um, Philippians through Hebrews. Yeah, so uh, we'll look at that, that section of scripture. The following week, we will look at the final section of Richard Lovelace's book, um, Renewal as a Way of Life. And then the final week, which is Palm Sunday, that'll be the final week of this class, we will look at the last books of the Bible. We will look at, um, f- you know, from, I guess, James to Revelation. James to Revelation. Thank you. Um, these will all be recorded, right? Those will all be recorded, yes. Yes, yeah. We, we just... Uh, <laughs> We don't record this. We did not record the past two weeks where we talked about the biblical sexual ethic, and we also didn't record, yeah, the weeks before, the a month ago when we talked about gospel and race stuff. Um, but uh, but we are recording these, so I am recording this right now. So when you guys talk, I'll try. This is the trick that I'm learning: is this microphone picks up me very well, and when y'all talk, it picks you up. So be aware of that. That goes on the interwebs. Uh, but I'm learning, I got to learn that um, when you are speaking, I normally, like, <laughs> if Kathy was talking, I, she's talk, I want to, like, f- make you know that I'm listening to you. So I'm, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the audio is just hearing you and then really loudly, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. It's really terrible. So when you are talking, I will be not be talking. Uh, hey, but if, you know, the whole conceit of this class. Really question that you want everybody else to hear, repeating that question is helpful. Yes. Uh, you know, the whole conceit of this class is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? When we get to the weeks where we're looking at the heart, we look at uh, Richard Lovelace's book because it gets at some devotional literature of how we love God with our heart. When we talk about the soul, that's the weeks when we look at the biblical books, the books of the Bible, because, you know, the Bible is our soul. Uh, The Bible is how we worship. The Bible is how we know God. The Bible is how God reveals himself. So when we talk about those weeks looking at the biblical books, we're learning to love our God with our soul. Uh, With our mind, that's a week, that's the week today. Uh, When we love the Lord our God with our mind, 
those are the weeks when we look at Sinclair Ferguson's book because I think it's one of the best doctrinal introductions. It's a book that just introduces subjects uh, in very easy way for folks to understand. So we're learning how to love God with our mind. And then lastly, how to love the Lord our God with, with our strength. Those are the weeks when we talk about subjects, when we talk about, you know, gospel and race or biblical sexual ethic. Uh, earlier in the year, we looked at uh, worldview issues, um, uh, the, fraction, the fractionalization of evangelicalism that is going on right now. Um, so we've talked about a lot of that stuff. Those are those things. And when you go to the website, all these audios and uh, handouts are on there. Uh, and you can go see uh, the week, what we're doing. Um, but, you know, it's called the 12 Components of Discipleship. And I said on week one that that was a ploy. That was a scheme of mine. Because I called this class the 12 Components of Discipleship because people really like numbers. People just love steps, you know, stuff like that. Like if I want to love the Lord our God with, if I want to love God with all of our, all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, these are the twelve steps I need to do to do that. Well, of course that's ridiculous, right? That's not scripture. Uh, there are no twelve steps. Uh, I don't think you're getting it. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. Uh, you know, maybe you're getting it now, but we all do this because I think we're all legalists at heart. That's what we are. We're all Pharisees at heart. We're all legalists at heart. We love laws. We love rules and we love instituting them on other people. And we love instituting them on myself. I'm, I'm that same way. I think that uh, I, if I can just organize my to-do list just well enough, then maybe I will just be a little bit more fulfilled. I'm not going to say God loves me more. I'm, I'm enough of a solid Christian to know that, but he likes me a little bit more. <laughs> um, and so I say all that as a preamble to say that uh, these last few weeks, I really want us to th- uh, just take a few moments in class to think about what are the things that we're doing, that we're actively doing? And I wrote it in here. Um, what are you actively doing to rest in the goodness and grace of God? Um, I would love to hear someone say, what is something that you're doing now that you are actively, you're actively doing it to rest in the goodness and grace of God? Yeah, things I need to do, like worrying about my future and like 
what am I doing today? And, you know, yeah. um, brushing my teeth or whatever. Um, you know, it just goes everywhere and uh, yeah. get distracted. Yeah, that's wonderful. So using an app, like Encounter, is that what you said yeah. the name of it was? Yeah, and you, uh, you like it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah okay. Walks with you meditating on a passage of scripture. Like yeah. No, no, like, foo-hoo, like, like it's just yeah. scripture. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I, I'm in a men's group that they don't use that app, but they use uh, the, uh, almost every other man in the group. They use this app. Uh, it's a John Eldridge app, but I, f- I don't think it's Encounter. I think it's something different, but it does something similar. So um, I like that. Yeah. So I've got a Spotify list on my phone, and one of my playlists is a lot of worship songs. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm driving around, I sometimes, often, I'll listen to those and and right now I'm in a place where I'm really needing to hear from the Lord about how I might be serving next year at Community Bible Study, which is, I go there as well. I have an opportunity came up, and I'm just praying, you know. And so some of the songs I'm listening to is um, El Shaddai, God, you're almighty. You yeah. speak to me. Be yeah. thou my vision. Yeah. 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 And then there's a song, uh, Shine On Us, by Philip's Craven Unit, uh-huh. which is... Um, that, that we might have life. And just the harmony of that word life, you know, yeah, in the yeah. songs, just, yeah, Lord, yeah. speak to me. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so a good Spotify list of worship songs. Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. Yeah. And w- one more? Pretty recent, but um, seeing how our time in here and the Galatians, we're still, our home group meets only every other week, so we're still in Galatians study. And we're at the part of the fruit and fruit versus the works. And it's just a, amazingly, still, after all these years, just a, an awakening to the first three in the fruit being love, peace, love joy, um, peace, our attitudes, yeah. out of which yeah. the other things that yeah. are relational things that we do yeah. It's just come to the realization that that's usually where I put the focus is on the doing. Is on how do I, like you were saying earlier, yeah. how do I make my list right. to bring my life better into the fullness? Yeah. And it's just been just really great yeah. to just refocus that and say this is where I need to look at more yeah. is the love out of which all of that other stuff grows. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, the character of attitudes, uh, our actions flow out of our attitudes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, yeah. That that reminds me of the uh, list of qualifications of an elder and a deacon in the Bible. Uh, Every single qualification except for one is on character. Uh, only one is actually on action that's apt to teach. So you need to be able to be able to teach. Uh, but other than that, it's all character, um, which uh, I think we, we, uh, we mix up. Uh, so here's what's happened. Because I plan to do a billion things in this course, <laughs> and I've run out of time, um, so we have to do what I originally planned as like four weeks all together as one. 
So we're not going to cover everything that we want to cover. There, we're not going to cover everything I want to cover. We might cover more than you want. Uh, um, but what we're doing essentially, what uh, the Sinclair Ferguson book does is it talks about more than anything else. It, well, not more than anything else. Let me back up and let me say this. There is, uh, there was in the first, because I like church history, I'll say this. In the first four centuries of the church, the big question was, who is Jesus? Oh, that doesn't work. Who is Jesus? Uh, and how does he connect to God? That's in the first four centuries. That was a big thing. Who is Jesus? Uh, and so it asked the questions of, you know, how is Jesus both man and God? And how is he connected? Who's the Trinity? All that stuff. That, that's, that's all the first four, first four centuries. Then there was a big chunk of the church history that was talking about who is the church. And uh, I think mostly they got it wrong, but uh, they were asking, they were trying to figure out how the church is connected. And that's why we get into differences of opinion about the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is, is it owned by the church? Is it not owned by the church? Can priests marry? All these other things. These are the big questions that happen in those, those next 10 centuries or whatnot. Um, then we get into the Protestant Reformation, and this is what Sinclair Ferguson deals with a lot, is it's not answering the question of who is Jesus. We know that. that we, we, fir we firmly know that. There are four ecumenical councils. You guys heard of that? There were four ecumenical councils that answered this question, who is Jesus? And those are the last time the entire global church was united. Those four ecumenical councils, the Council of Ephesus, Constantinople, those councils, they were the last time the global church was connected. After that, the Great Schism, Eastern Church, and then, uh, you know, who's the church? They, they messed that up, so I'm not even going to talk about that. Um, then uh, we get the Protestant Reformation. At the Protestant Reformation, we no longer are asking who is Jesus. Uh, we're no longer asking... Theology proper, theology proper being, uh, God, you know, just theo, the study of God. Um, theology proper is who this is. Who is God? Protestant Reformation was the first time that the church really wanted to understand and put out very explicitly. And I know this is the first time. I'm not just talking Protestant churches because uh, the, the Catholic Church responded to the Protestant Reformation with their own version of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, the study of salvation. In other words, we know who God is, but how are we saved? How are we saved? So the Protestant Reformation wanted to know it seems like y'all it seems like we're messed up on this it seems like the church is saying that if you take mass then you are saved only if you do the right things it seems like you're selling indulgences to say that i can pay my way out of hell it seems like we're really messing up so the protestant reformation was let's understand how we are saved the Protestant Reformation was so large 
that the Roman Catholics came back with their own response. Like they came back and were like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe we do need to figure this out. Um, and so they came back with uh, the Council of Trent where they responded. And the Council of Trent is the Catholics version of uh, stuff. And I would say the Council of Trent was really great. I am way talking about things that I should not be talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm setting up the stage for how we are saved. I don't like either of those markers. Here we go. This one might be better. So how we are saved. And if you remember, every time we talk about the Sinclair Ferguson book, the yellow quadrant, we've been talking about the order of salvation, right? That's the big thing. Order of salvation. Order of salvation. And in the order of salvation, we have been talking each week that um, how we are saved is, you know, we've talked about election. I'm not going to write it all up. What? Oh, Amar, okay, thank you. Um, uh, We've talked about election. We've talked about predestination. We've talked about atonement. We've talked about gospel call, you know, uh, the, the call of salvation or just the gospel call or inward call. We've talked about regeneration. We've talked about justification. We've talked about conversion, you know, all these things, regeneration, adoption. Last time we talked about Ferguson, we talked about adoption. You know, all of these things are the order of salvation. And remember, uh, the way the different things, different people look at it, Lutheran church says it all is grounded in faith. Arminians say it's all grounded in just whether we obey well enough. Uh, reformed people say, this is, I'm, this is all preamble to say, reformed people say that our salvation, how we are saved, is grounded in not our faith, not our evangelical obedience, but our salvation is grounded in our, this one works, union with Christ. Everything I just said, our election, our justification, all that stuff is grounded in our union with Christ. And we've talked about all those things that I just mentioned It leaves us with two big sections of theology, and this is what Ferguson's last few chapters are about, are about, and they don't flow, it's not like an order, like here this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It it doesn't do that. It's just everything comes out of this. It's just like a big, you know, everything just flows out of our union with Christ. And the last two are sanctification, Sanctification and glorification. And I just want to say that the church spends, especially evangelical churches, we spend so much time talking about justification. I'm going to write it up because we spend a lot of time talking about it. We spend so much time talking about justification. We should spend some more time on glorification. It is a little sad that I'm truncating all this into a very short class because we got to talk about a big thing like this and, a, and we, we don't talk about glorification enough. I, I, I was going to save it to the end, but I'll just say it now. Um, one of my favorite things, I've mentioned this 
many times, so I know some of you have heard this before. Jonathan Edwards, uh, the uh, great pastor in Boston, Massachusetts. I found one that works, Joy. I found a marker that works. Um, uh, he would spend 30 minutes a day contemplating heaven because he says he didn't want to live as if this was his home. He wanted to live as if that's his home and everything he did came out of that. Glorification is our final ultimate Sabbath rest, our final end. If we would spend 30 minutes a day, that's one of your, that's your uh, 10th component of discipleship. You should spend 30 minutes a day contemplating heaven. Now, we don't like doing that because there, it's, it's unclear, right? There's plenty about the final glorification of uh, Christians, of the elect, that is unclear. Jesus, tell us about heaven. Heaven is like a man who owns a vineyard. Tell us about, tell us about heaven. Heaven is like a father who loves us. You know, these are the way G- Jesus knows that our mind can't grasp glory. Our Jesus knows our mind can't grasp heaven. So he just tells us what it's like. He gives us images. But I think if you forget everything else I say today, um, we should spend more time contemplating the great joy uh, and beauty of heaven. And if anything, I'm actually just going to skip to the end of my notes because I think that's um, the beauty of heaven and hell. Um, glorification, and you see on your handout uh, under chapter 18, uh, death brings our souls into the immediate presence with God. We know that when um, Jesus says to the, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So at death, I apologize if I'm jumping around, guys, but it's just the way it is. I, 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 want, I actually want to talk about this. This, is not, this was not intended to go backwards, but I'm going to do that. Um, when someone dies... I don't know where to go with this. When someone dies, uh, their body and soul is split. Um, And we should know and see death is the enemy. That's actually where I want to start with this. Death is the enemy. Death is the consequence of sin. Death is part of the curse of sin. Death is the enemy. Do not believe the lie that we should just come to peace and make peace with death. You know, everyone dies, just make peace with it. No, we can cry out at a funeral, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is an abomination to God's creation. We are not just souls, right? We are bodies. And when we die on this earth because of the consequence and curse of sin, our body and soul is ripped apart not the way it's supposed to be. But praise God for those who are asleep in Christ, those who believe in Jesus, that our souls go where? Immediately to heaven. So our souls immediately go to heaven. Immediately. And like the blink of an eye, our souls are with Jesus. But as we all know who have seen people die, our bodies 
go to the grave. Our body goes to the grave. The, uh, whenever scripture talks about um, Hades or Gehenna or uh, uh, Sheol, these are like Hebrew, uh, Greek words that you read sometimes. Um, it's talking about, sometimes it refers to hell, but usually it's just referring to the place of the dead. It's usually it's just referring to the place where our body goes. So when we die, this is called in theological terms, this is the intermediate state, the intermediary state, uh, that our souls go to heaven and our bodies go to the grave, awaiting final resurrection, final bodily resurrection. Christians believe in a bodily resurrection, right? Christians believe in a bodily resurrection. That's why there are some Christians, there are some Christians that don't like um, cremation. There's some Christians that say we shouldn't cremate. I am not one of these people. I think cremation is fine. But there are, but, uh, there are some Christians that say, no, we should honor the body and lay it in the grave uh, in uh, anticipation of the final day when uh, bodies will rise again and be united with soul. Final glorification is where uh, the kernel of whatever our body is. The body that I'm in right now is not the same body that will be in heaven. <laughs> thank goodness. Yes, thank goodness. And every, uh, every problem that is in my body will be gone, right? But there will be a, there's a kernel in there that when I see you in heaven, I'll immediately recognize you. Like, oh, that's Vonda. Like, I'll immediately know it. Like, that's, there's a kernel about that. Um, but it's a different body, and it's a heavenly body. And we read this in 1 Corinthians 15. That's where Paul talks a lot about it. Uh, we will be reunited, uh, body and soul, and the final resurrection uh, will be beautiful and glorious, um, enough to praise God for. Uh, I, I, do you guys want, so there are many different ways that Christians respond to this. I don't know if I should go into this, um, but I, I'll just say that this is the time where I would have talked about um, different things like purgatory, uh, or, um, you know, there's, uh, annihilationism, um, second probation, which is like Jesus, um, second probation. This is saying that, uh, after you die, Jesus will go to you and give you a second chance. You know, if you die and you haven't believed in Jesus, he'll go to you and say, give you a second chance. You, they infer from Second Peter where Jesus, uh, after the cross, he went in and preached to the dead. Um, there's just, you know, Peter says that. Um, annihilationism is the idea that, um, that those who are not elect, non-Christians, just are, cease to exist. That their souls cease to exist that there is no hell. Now, an annihilationist might say there is hell and the hell is you cease to exist, but there is no physical location of a hell. 
<laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Yes, as the Bible describes hell, it, they would say they would say that is f Jesus figuratively talking about the uh, annihilation of souls. Um, I, 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 we, <laughs> um, and then purgatory is the Roman Catholic view. To be clear, Christians go to purgatory. Uh, Non-Christians do not go to purgatory. Roman Catholics would say a non-Christian goes to hell. Roman Catholics would say Christians who still need the little flecks of sin purged off their souls go to purgatory. And they get that sort of purged off. And then they, so Roman Catholics would say every single person who goes to purgatory ends up in heaven. So. Right, right. This is Roman Catholic. This, this is uh, mostly liberal Protestants, uh, are annihilationists. Uh, think the great, great. Think a few years ago, Rob Bell came out with the book where he argued that uh, hell doesn't exist. So he would be a, a quote an annihilationist in, in a certain way. Um, the other, the other form of this is a universalist. Uh, which are, are like annihilationists, where um, they just say no one ceases to exist and no one goes to hell, everybody ends up in heaven. That's what a universalist would say. Yes? The last vehement argument I had with my brothers, who are both, uh, who have been, who are now in the Catholic Church, but one's in the Catholic Church, the other one sort of just falls away, was about this whole thing about second chance. Everybody will be given a second chance. It's yeah. okay to live what you're going to do here, but at the end, there'll be a second chance given to everyone. And then at that point, most people will say, oh, yeah, 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 the heaven's a good place to be. I won't yeah. go there. Yeah. But I, mean, I, I was arguing, obviously, against that. And we, we, we almost had to stop the car. It was in a car. Because <laughs> 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 it, was, it was a very vehement argument with my two, uh, at the time, both of them were yeah. Church. Yeah. I, well, I'm I'm glad you didn't go to blows. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. To be fair to my Roman Catholic friends and brothers and sisters, uh, I I understand why they believe this. Like, it makes logical sense. It makes logical sense to believe in a purgatory because. How many people do we know die in Christ? We see, we go to their funerals and we honor them. But if we knew them, we're like, well, they, they had plenty of sin. I mean, I, like, I, I, like I, I knew them. Uh, and they weren't anything like the type of person that I think of would be glorious and perfect in heaven. It logically makes sense that if God can't be with sin uh, and you die and you still have the flex of sin on you, uh, that you need to be purged. Now, the, are the current, or no, the la, the, there were so many pope changes in the past 10 years. The, the, I think it was Benedict. I think it was um, Benedict that he argued that purgatory for most is like a second, is like, is like a flash. So 
he was sort of trying to get become Protestant, uh, where he was like, yeah, there's purgatory, but sometimes it's like a second, or you know, or, or like just an instant. Um, so I, I, you know, anyway, I, we could talk for hours about this. I appreciate what you said, Glasgow. Like, the, there's there's a lot in here that I think I just want to say. Um, everybody here says they're biblical. I mean, everybody here says they follow the Bible, um, and we would disagree with them. I think or at least I would, dis- I'm not going to speak for you. I would disagree with them. I would say, like the, like Sinclair Ferguson argues, is that all of those are wrong, that what happens is that when you die, your body and soul are separated. Your soul is immediately in heaven, completely perfect and whole and new, absent a body. Uh, right now, in heaven, there is one fleshly body, and that is Jesus Christ. He has a fleshly heavenly body right now in heaven, and the rest of the saints who have died before us are perfect, inglorious souls awaiting the final resurrection of the body. Um, I just want to say this, you know, the what is heaven like? Eternal life it's not just endless, it is complete fullness of life. You know, it's not just, when we think of eternal, we think of just time, time, you know, think of time. But it's not just endless, it is the fullness of life. Um, it is without imperfections or disturbances. We inherit heaven and the entire new creation. As children of God, we receive the inheritance of not just heaven, but the entire new creation. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, We have perfect communion with God. We will see God in Jesus Christ face to face. We will find full satisfaction in Christ. I mean, full satisfaction. How many people here have ever been fully satisfied? (laughs) Never, never. Like when we think, maybe if you think back and like do a lot of work to think back of the time that you felt truly at peace, I mean, that is like, in comparison to what true, full satisfaction in Christ will be. We will rejoice in him. We will glorify him. Joys of heaven are spiritual and bodily. It's not just souls bouncing around on clouds, playing harps. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, Because clouds are just water vapor, so like you would fall through. Uh, you know, we would recognize and, and ha- we would be known and know one another. I mean, it's not just personal, individual satisfaction, but communal, social interaction. I mean, that, that to me, that's crazy. I mean, the amount of people that I know that I'm mad at right now are a lot, is a lot. But to think that I'm in, if they're in Christ, that I'm going to be in full, beautiful, uh, interaction with them uh, forever and ever, that's, that's amazing. Kathy? Yeah, it makes me think, Joe, of, uh, again, I, I don't want to keep talking obviously, but in my core group, in the past month, two women passed, shocked unexpectedly. And they were under treatment for cancer, but they were both doing really well. Yeah. Uh, so I had to send an email out to my group twice telling them uh, about their friend that passed. And I always sort of ended it with, Yeah, we will. We will. We will see her again. This is separated. The soul is in heaven. That's what you said. Yep. 
does that mean that those souls know each other at that point? Like, does my mom know my dad? Does she know her sisters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything I, everything I just wrote outside of the bodily part is true in the intermediate state. Yes. Amen. That is true. That is true. Um, partly, and I can say that absolutely because God is beyond time, right? So we are in the temporal plane. So sorry to get too philosophical. Um, and so when we think about the intermediate state, that's helpful for us because we do await in the future. The way God interacts with us is in time. Um, but beyond time, I don't want to get too crazy. Um, uh, the saints who have passed before us are in complete, full satisfaction with Christ now, and they know one another. That is a true state. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about this is just on Friday, I went to a Roman Catholic funeral where the priest quoted a Jewish rabbi, uh, so try to explain that. It was actually wonderful. It was, it was, it was very nice funeral. Um, I didn't know the people that it was a joint funeral. I did not know the people who had died. I knew the people who were mourning and grieving the, de the death. Um, uh, but the Roman Catholic priest at the end quoted the rabbi where he said that the rabbi said, uh, I want to make sure I say it right, to remember... To remember is to keep alive. To forget is to let die. When he first said that, I was like, okay, that really irritates me. Because uh, what I think he was trying to say is completely wrong. Uh, but the more I thought about it, actually what I, where I can say amen to that is if our salvation is union with Christ, um, to remember is to keep alive. Jesus Christ, who we are in union with, remembers his people. It's not about us remembering. It's not about us remembering because I forgot everybody. I forget people who are alive today. Uh, and I definitely am slowly forgetting my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents I never knew. I don't know who they are. Um, maybe I can see a tree, but I've forgotten them. I've let them die. But if they are in Christ, Jesus remembers them, and they are alive today. So I can say amen to my Roman Catholic priest friend and the rabbi friend. I can say amen, yes, to remember Jesus Christ remembers those who have fallen in, who have died in him, and they are alive today. Amen to that, right? Do I think souls are visible? Sure. What do you, what do you mean by that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're visible, totally visible. Uh, no, I, I definitely would not say that, nor, do I, nor would I say that all of us would be like, a perfect, you know, like 23-year-old body, you know, when every, before everything starts falling apart, um, you know, or everyone just looks beautiful. Yeah, perfect, right? Um, no, like where everyone just looks beautiful in heaven? No, like everyone will, it's, everyone's visible. And will there be babies in heaven? That's a question that you should start asking. Just, just do that. 
I, I, there's so much about heaven that we don't understand that we think uh, that's where we'll get true satisfaction. But um, I'm with you. So, uh, so moving back in my, uh, my handout, if you will, uh, what Ferguson talks about in the, the three chapters of We've talked about glorification. We spent most of this time talking about glorification. And I think, actually, I'm very happy that that's what we did. Um, Because sanctification is the battle. (laughs) This is like where we live now, and that's really hard. Uh, And I think we deal with this regularly. And I think we deal with this at every time we get together in this class or any time we get together in church is this battle, this... um, yeah, the, the war we're in. So chapter 13 in Ferguson's book is about just sin's dominion has ended. And he takes a lot from Romans 6. Um, and he just reaffirms everything that I've been saying about reformed people say our salvation is grounded in our union with Christ. And that's what he talks about in that chapter. Our death to sin is accomplished through union with Christ. Our union with Christ involves the death of the old man, and our union with Christ leads to new life in him, which then leads to the next chapter, and the next two chapters, really, about the Christian's conflicts and crucifying sin. Um, I said, so maybe one thing, well, maybe what I want to do now is Uh, look at chapter 15, Crucifying Sin. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, talks about this this sanctification. So uh, justification is by faith. Remember, justification is the uh, glorious uh, Jesus taking our sin and we take his righteousness and it's all by faith. And it is Jesus's work. Sanctification is also by faith. And I'm going to say something pretty shocking. Well, I think it's shocking. You guys will think that's really boring still. Um, Sanctification is our work. Maybe that's a bit shocking Uh, because justification is by faith. We receive it by faith and it is Jesus's work of taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. Beautiful, wonderful. And we are justified. We are adopted. We are elected into his family. We become part of God's family. Sanctification is this process of um, becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like our sinful selves. And it is received by faith. We receive this work of sanctification by faith. But, I mean, I think one way I could say it is that it is the Spirit's work. But when you say that, it almost makes it sound like sanctification is still something you passively receive. And so that's why I like to say sanctification is our work. Uh, sanctification is the work that you and I do. Sanctification is the stuff that by faith, I receive the grace of Christ, the work of the spirit in me to be able to become more like Jesus 
and less like my sinful self. And so that's our work. So uh, how are you, uh, what work are you doing to, to use the words of John Owen, to mortify, mortify, mortify your flesh. Doesn't that sound, that sounds metal, man. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is totally the name of a heavy metal song. I know it is. If somebody asks you how you are, how are you doing? I'm mortifying my <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> what are you doing outside then? Please go home. Um, yeah, mortifying your flesh. That sounds horrible and terrible, but remember the... Um, you know, the sin's dominion ended, which means that what happens is sin is no longer our Lord, but Jesus is our Lord. So by doing that, our relationship switched. Sin is still here, but he's no longer our Lord. Jesus is now our Lord. Before salvation, before justification, Jesus was not our Lord and sin was our Lord. Now, Jesus is our Lord and sin is no longer our Lord. Sin is still present, but he's no longer our Lord. Sin being a synonym with flesh. Mortifying your flesh, mortifying your sin, working by the grace of God to mortify your flesh. Um, And I, I wrote on the handout, this comes from the Ferguson book. In order to do that, we must recognize sin for what it is. You must bring your own sin into the light of God's presence. I mean, so far we're talking about repentance, right? Uh, We must recall the shame of past sin. Uh, We must remember we are united to Christ. Remember our Lord, not our old Lord. And we must prayerfully seek the fruit of the Spirit that Glenn already talked about, these Uh, beautiful peace, love, joy, um, prayerfully seeking the fruit of the Spirit. Now, different Christians do this different ways. And this is, honestly, this is what's cool about uh, the way I think about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is there are some Christians that really love a soul quadrant, maybe worshiping God and the singing songs, singing praises, That is a really beautiful thing to do to love God. Uh, We are mortifying our flesh by uh, praising God and going to worship. Going to worship on Sunday mornings, being reminded of, oh yeah, Jesus does love me. Everyone else, and including myself this past week, told me that I'm unlovable. But no, Jesus still loves me anyway. You know, those great worship things. Uh, Heart Christians are those type of Christians that love solitude, love retreat. They love uh, to be alone with Christ wherever it may be in prayer. That is a beautiful thing. Some Christians are the type of Christians that say, I want to make sure that I'm doing this correctly. I'm thinking correctly. I, 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 I study theology and I make sure that I'm worshiping God, knowing God, not just in uh, not just in love, but in truth, not just in grace, but in truth. 
strength Christians or those type of Christians that say, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go show the mercy and justice of God in the world, uh, serving with my body and uh, and just pushing out uh, in some ways. There are different ways we mortify the flesh. There are different ways that we uh, grow more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the only human being that was this, all four of these perfectly. The rest of us, and I talked about this, you know, maybe even the very first week, the rest of us usually lean in one direction or the other, right? The rest of us, some of us like, and if you will, just on my little grid, uh, these two are more individualistic, you know, heart is solitude, mind is solitude in a library. Um, these are more corporate, if you will, like worshiping together, singing praises together, serving out, serving with others. Um, these are the ways that we uh, grow in our faith. These are the ways that we become more and more like Jesus. Uh, sanctification um, is, uh, is that habitual weakening of sin, as John Owen talks about it. Avery? So you didn't, when I, when you say mortify your flesh, I immediately thought to you, resisting sin in your thoughts right. and your deeds. How does that fit in? Yeah, I would say mortifying your flesh is, is positive and negative. It, it, it has to be. It has to be both of those things. Um, it, the positive side is to uh, remember your union with Christ. Uh, to be, uh, I put that John Calvin quote on the handout. It is the duty of a godly teacher in order to confirm disciples in faith to extol as much as possible the grace of Christ so that being satisfied with that, we may seek nothing else. In other words, if we, if we pursue Christ and are satisfied with that, then the things that give us uh, satisfaction outside of Christ have less of an, uh, a temptation, less of a, an enticement. You know, we need to we need to remember Christ. We need to extol the grace of Christ to each other. Uh, so there's positive aspects to it, and then the negative aspects is we need to cut out those things that are uh, pulling us away from God. We need to, uh, you know. Uh, mortify the flesh. I, I can't think of a, a, another way of saying it. It is the weakening of sin. We need to um, consistently, well, where's my notes? Um, consistently seek ways to uh, um, avoid temptations to sin, to repent of the sin that we see in our own lives, uh, beware the destruction of sin. I mean, I've said, I've said many times that you guys said many times, like um, we are every single one of us, even those of us that have our lives put together are one, maybe two decisions away from ruining our lives. Right. I mean, sin is so close like Cain, uh, you know, sin is crouching at the door. We need to beware it. We need to, uh, um, yeah, we need to be beware, be aware that sin is so close and we need to cut it out uh, and 
um, repent of it. Does that, does, does that make sense? But I, but I do want to say, just because I'm out of time, I do want to say that uh, this is a true statement. Everything I'm saying, it is so easy to then lead that into, well, my salvation is dependent upon whether I cut out sin. You know, my salvation is dependent upon my own work. If sanctification is my work, it's so easy and tempted because we're all legalists at heart to say that if I don't remain sanctified, if I don't remain doing this, then I will lose my salvation. So I'll end with this, that uh, the best analogy I can think of, this comes from um, Jesus's high priestly prayer, John 15, the sheep hear my voice. Uh, anyone that is in my hand shall not be cast away. When we are sanctified, when we're justified by faith, based in our union with Christ, um, it is like my two hands. God is one hand and we are the other hand and we are intertwined in faith, right? And those of us that don't do that, or, do, you know, we don't sanctify. We just say, uh, whatever, I, I, I'm terrible at it or I don't want to do it. At worst, this happens. At worst, this happens. At worst, we let go. But who never lets go? Yeah. In Christ, if all of this is true, if we are sanctified and glorified and, and justified all in our union with Christ, then at worst, we let go. But he never lets go. No one can snatch from the hand God's people. Amen. Amen. Uh, amen. That's, my, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to end, guys. Uh, so next week, we will return here and talk about the biblical books. The other, there is another theological proper, theological proper issue that we're going to talk about, and that is the theology of the church. Um, when we get to Revelation, we're going to talk about um, more of how the church interacts. Um, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, it, it'll be fun. So there you go. Get out of here. As I like to say to my kids when they get out of the car, I love you, get out.